0: A focus summary of Chapters eighteen and nineteen of Pride and Prejudice. Elizabeth arrives at Netherfield in high spirits, dressed in her finest, and hoping to conquer Wickham's heart in the course of the evening. When she discovers he is not there, she suspects he was purposely omitted for Darcy's pleasure. She learns from Wickham's friend Denny that he is away on business but Denny tells her too that it might have waited had he not wanted to avoid a certain gentleman present. So, to Elizabeth, Darcy is still answerable for his absence. She finds it impossible to be civil with Darcy, and even struggles to overcome her ill-humor with Bingley, whose blind loyalty to Darcy provokes her but after telling her troubles to Charlotte Lucas, her spirits lighten, and she can return to the amusement of pointing out the follies of Mr. Collins. Her awkward and mortifying dances with him, however, bring a return of her distress. She then dances with an officer from whom she is delighted to learn that Wickham is universally liked. Immediately after, she is taken so off guard by an invitation from Darcy that she accepts without knowing what she did— Charlotte consoles her that she is sure to find him agreeable, and reminds her that he is a man ten times the consequence of Wickham. But Elizabeth insists she is determined to hate him. Elizabeth takes her place in the set, and she and Darcy stand without speaking. At first resolved not to break the silence, Elizabeth suddenly fancies it would be a greater punishment to make him talk. She comments on the dance, and after a pause of some minutes, tells him it is his turn to say something. What follows is another of their contests of wit that can't be captured in a summary, with her sharp-witted mocking of his taciturn manner and his equally clever questioning of the standards by which she mocks. After some moments of silence, he asks whether she and her sisters often walk to Meryton, and she succumbs to the temptation to boast of the new acquaintance they made there, With a haughty expression, Darcy comments that Wickham's happy manners enable him to make friends, but that it is less certain whether he is able to keep them. Elizabeth observes that he has been unfortunate enough to lose Darcy's friendship, making it clear that in their dispute she sees Wickham as the blameless victim. Mr. Lucas then approaches to compliment Darcy on his dancing and his partner, and to anticipate the pleasure of a union between Bingley and Jane. Darcy seems hardly to be listening, but Mr. Lucas's comment on the marriage prospect elicits from him a serious expression. When they are left alone again, and Darcy seeks to take up conversation, Elizabeth suggests that they give up the effort, since they have tried several subjects without success. Darcy suggests they compare their opinions on books, but Elizabeth turns it back to the subject of his unappeasable resentment. She asks whether he is cautious about how his resentments are formed, and careful not to be blinded by prejudice. When he asks the purpose of her questions, she says she is trying to make out his character. He suggests that she delay her judgment, but she is disinclined, so he coldly comments that he would not deny any pleasure of hers. Then they part with a mutual dissatisfaction, that quickly fades in Darcy, as he is overcome again by powerful feelings. Elizabeth is then accosted by Miss Bingley, who, with a tone of disdain, counsels her not to give confidence to Wickham's assertions. She insists that his claims against Darcy are false, though she knows nothing personally about the particulars. She says she pities Elizabeth for having to face this discovery but adds that she ought not to have expected much better, given Wickham's descent. Elizabeth angrily rejects this paltry attack, saying it arises only from Miss Bingley's ignorance and Mr. Darcy's malice. Then she seeks her eldest sister, whose complacent smile and happy glow prompt her to put aside her own resentments. Jane reports that Bingley does not know the history between Darcy and Wickham— but that his faith in his friend's honor leads him to believe that Wickham deserves no better treatment than he has received. She adds that by account of Bingley and his sister, Wickham is not a respectable young man. Since what they know of the story and of Wickham's character come from Darcy, Elizabeth is unconvinced by their assurances and maintains her own opinion of the two men. Elizabeth then turns to the more gratifying topic of Mr. Bingley, until he himself joins them, at which point she withdraws to Miss Lucas. Mr. Collins approaches them with exultation to say that he has discovered that Darcy is the nephew of Lady Catherine de Bourgh, and he tells them of his intention to introduce himself and pay his respects. Elizabeth does all she can to dissuade him, sure that Darcy will consider it an impertinence." but Mr. Collins, in a tone of condescension, says he considers himself much more capable than she of knowing what is right, and determines to follow the dictates of his own conscience. From a distance, Elizabeth watches Mr. Collins' solemn bow and formal speech to Darcy, and Darcy's look of unrestrained wonder and air of distant civility that turns to contempt as the speech continues. Nonetheless, turning to Elizabeth, the clueless Mr. Collins says he is not dissatisfied with Darcy's reception. Elizabeth then turns her attention entirely on Jane and her happiness, as she envisions her happily settled in that very house. She sees that her mother's thoughts are bent in the same direction, and tries in vain not to come near enough to hear her. But after being seated next to her at dinner, She listens in horror, as Mrs. Bennet speaks volubly about all the wonderful advantages Jane's marriage to so charming and rich a man will bring them. Elizabeth begs her mother to describe her felicity less audibly, perceiving that Mr. Darcy has overheard it all, but Mrs. Bennet's behavior cannot be checked. Elizabeth blushes with vexation, convinced by Darcy's expression, first grave, then indignant, that whether or not he is watching her, he is taking in every word. No sooner has Mrs. Bennet left off exposing herself than Mary seizes an opportunity to sing before the company. Watching Mary perform with weak voice and affected manner puts Elizabeth in agonies, particularly when she finishes one song and starts uninvited into another. Mr. Bennett stepping in to say aloud that Mary has delighted them long enough and ought to let the other girls have a turn, only heightens Elizabeth's embarrassment. The parade of family foolishness continues with Mr. Collins, who makes another of his awkward, inopportune, and self-important speeches, this time about his solemn duties as a rector, and why they still allow for him to sing, or would, if he could sing. Many stare, Mr. Bennett looks amused, and Mrs. Bennet congratulates him on having spoken so sensibly. Elizabeth thinks that had her family made an agreement to embarrass themselves as much as they could, it would have been impossible for them to play their parts with finer success. Her only consolation is that much of it escaped Bingley's notice, but she cannot decide whether she finds his sister's insolent smiles or Darcy's silent contempt more intolerable. For the rest of the evening, Mr. Collins perseveres at Elizabeth's side, assuring her that his chief object is not the pleasure of dancing, but of remaining close to her. Her only relief comes when Miss Lucas joins them and engages Mr. Collins in good-natured conversation. By Mrs. Bennet's design, the Longbourn family are the last to depart. While they wait for the carriage, Bingley's sisters scarcely open their mouths and repulse Mrs. Bennet's attempts at conversation. Mr. Collins fills the silence with long speeches, Darcy and Elizabeth say nothing at all, and Mr. Bennet watches the whole scene with enjoyment. Bingley and Jane stand detached from the rest, speaking only to each other. As they depart, Mrs. Bennet invites Bingley to join them for a family dinner, and he promises to accept her invitation as soon as he returns from a trip to London. Mrs. Bennet is perfectly satisfied that Jane will be settled at Netherfield within a few months, and that Elizabeth will be married to Mr. Collins. The latter arrangement brings her less pleasure, since Elizabeth is the least dear to her of her children, and the worth of Mr. Collins eclipsed by Bingley and Netherfield. The next day, Mr. Collins sets about the business of proposing, in an orderly manner, with all the regular observances. Finding Elizabeth, her mother, and her younger sister at breakfast, he requests a private audience with Elizabeth. Elizabeth begs her not to go, and says she will go away herself, but Mrs. Bennet insists that she stay and hear him. Elizabeth sits down, resolving that it is best to get it over with as soon as possible, and trying to conceal her feelings of distress and aversion. Mr. Collins begins by assuring her that her unwillingness and modesty make her only more amiable in his eyes. He confesses the reason for his attentions, and says, with solemn composure, that before he runs away with his feelings on the subject, he will first offer his reasons for marrying. Elizabeth is trying so hard to stifle a laugh that she is unable to stop him from proceeding. His reasons are thus. First, it is a clergyman's duty to set the example of matrimony. Second, it will increase his happiness— and third, it is the wish of his patroness. He says that Lady Catherine is sure to approve of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth to enjoy the advantages of a connection with a woman of her rank. He also adds that he had determined to choose a wife from among Mr. Bennet's daughters, because he is to inherit his estate, sure that his motives will elevate him in her esteem. Finally, he says, all that remains is for him to express the violence of his emotions— after he assures her that when they are married, no reproach regarding her lack of fortune will ever cross his lips. Elizabeth now urgently interrupts to say he is too hasty and has forgotten that she has given him no answer. She thanks him for the compliment, but says that she must decline his proposal. Mr. Collins dismisses her answer as the customary coy refusal young ladies make of a man they secretly mean to accept, but Elizabeth promises she is perfectly serious. She is emphatic that he could not make her happy, that she is the last woman in the world who could make him so, and that Lady Catherine would not find her qualified for the situation. She assures him that when the Longbourn estate falls to him, he can take possession of it without self-reproach. Nothing Elizabeth says will persuade Mr. Collins that she is sincere in declining his proposal, since he is so desirable a match, and since she can have no certainty that another offer will ever be made to her. He concludes instead that she is trying to increase his love by suspense, according to the practice of elegant females. Elizabeth insists that her words are those of a rational creature, speaking the truth from her heart. Mr. Collins awkwardly calls her charming, and expresses confidence that she will accept his proposal once it is sanctioned by her parents. Elizabeth withdraws in silence resolving to appeal to her father for help if Mr. Collins persists in his willful self-deception.